0: There's a, uh, this is a quilt that the gang, a a couple ladies have made and they're going to auction off for the Breaking Chains concert that's coming up and, Yeah. yeah, I don't know if they'll know, we're not that, that looks great. All right. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that it provides enough for the Breaking Chains concert, and a blessed. God, we thank you for the ladies uh, that put this together and the skill that you've given them. And uh, we pray that as this item is auctioned off for Breaking Chains, that uh, first of all, that Breaking Chains has a great impact on those that attend and uh, on those that even hear about it. Maybe they'll be blessed. Um, so God, as this is just a tool in your hand to bring... Uh, in funds to um, be a blessing for this ministry, Uh, we pray that you'd use it and uh, would bless um, the auction that will be taking place. And uh, I pray that it brings in enough funds for at least a couple bands to come in, and who knows how much, maybe even more. Um, And so, God, we just pray that you put your hand upon it and continue to provide for all all that's necessary for this ministry that will be taking place in the spring. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, yeah, you bet. Oh, it's a raffle. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't know. Thank you, guys. Beautiful. Yeah, now you guys said we'd done five. They told me we had already done five. First Corinthians 5. Is that right? Because I want to do it again, because that's what my salt and lighter for here. I had a really cool thing I wanted to do. That's my, all right, good. So we're going to do five and six. Now, um, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians, obviously the Spirit-filled church had some issues, and this is one of the actual stories that he had heard from them. Now, when, it, when you hear a story about a church, that means it's pretty public. It's not like he snuck in and saw this happening in the back row and thought he better bring it to the attention of the pastor. This is a public thing um, that these folks weren't embarrassed about, and they should have been. And so Paul, when he heard about this story here, probably sparked him to, hey, I need to write these guys a letter. Because it's not only in theory, it's in practical, practicum. Um, They're actually Doing this, and he thought this is gonna. This is bad. Um, it's one thing to be um, gracious and merciful, and we'll talk about that here. But there's a whole other thing to condone, um, and that's where they had gotten to the place of condoning sin in the church, and, and that just can't be. It just can't be. And so, um, sorry, chapter five, verse one. Again, the, the, we're going to revisit it. Um, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and the word there can be arrogant Um, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus this is church discipline this is something that I probably talked about before 3 weeks ago it's my own fault for not being here 2 weeks in a row but I think it's important to see this and 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 understand this situation there There's two ways to look at this. Church discipline probably isn't done that much, and I know I discussed it, i had done it twice, I'm I'm remembering now. Um, I've had to do this twice before in our fellowship. Um, It doesn't come up very often because you need to be led of the Spirit. You can either hammer someone and hammer the church to death and be a sin sniffer, which we don't want to be as a fellowship, but you can also be so liberal um, that you forsake God's Word in order to keep people present. And can't have that either, because God saved us to purify us. He saved us from sin, uh, not saved us in sin. And so Paul hears about this story and says, "You guys, um, it's one thing to be mourning and waiting for God's word to work. Um, that's kind of my take on it. Um, not everybody agrees, but um, you know, we invite unbelievers to church. And if the unbelievers are in a certain situation or whatever it is, and they haven't been convicted yet, it's difficult to pull them aside and say, I know you're not a card-carrying Christian yet, but we don't condone this. Um, They won't come back. And um, there's, there's the rub. There's the fine line. At what point do you step in and say something? At what point do you implement this? First of all, they have to be believers. You can't say anything about their sin until they're believers. But um, we also don't want that sin to spread, to infect, to look like to our kids, even in the Sunday school ministry, that this is okay. And that they see that the church is condoning it or tolerating it to the point of pride, even. And they begin to take on those attributes. Well, they get to do it over there, you know. And you're not doing anything about that over there. And so you're, uh, you're careful. You've got to be careful. You gotta be led of the Spirit. I think you honestly have to be led of the Holy Spirit and know that you know what, you've been here long enough, you've heard it enough times that has has God's word not penetrated into this area of your life yet? I mean you claim to be a believer, I baptized you two weeks ago and, and so on, or a month ago, or three months ago, or six months ago even, and and we've covered this several times in God's word, and I see that it's not affecting you. Can you can you explain to me maybe why this isn't why you think this is okay? And sometimes that person may say, oh, you know what, we have been convicted. We just don't know how to go about getting out of this mess kind of thing. Good, I'm I'm glad I asked because let's talk about that. So it doesn't always have to be a get the out, you know, and a swift kick in the rear and the way out the church door. Although, um, if it does come to that, if it comes to the point of pride, if it comes to the point of I know it's sin but we're going to continue to do it, that's when you need to consider the situation here in chapter 5. And so we've already discussed that. And so he is specifically speaking to believers, who believers who are saved, born again, spirit-filled, and still in sin and proud of it. So that's, that's where we are here in chapter 5. And Paul says, look, it's to the point where uh, you're notorious for this, Corinthians. You're notorious for this. People talk about this. Clear over where I am, you know. Um, so I'm telling you the next time you get together, because apparently you're not going to do it without this little push from me, with my spirit in the power of Jesus Christ. And you notice how he says that. It's not my will. It's not be, being a hierarchy, you know, I'm not a Pope, but I am telling you this in the name, in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one over to Satan. You're not doing him any favors. You're not doing either of them any favors by condoning it. And so he calls them to do that. And so, okay, so I've hit that before. Um, Your glorying, he says in verse 6, is not good. They would glory in this. Um... And we can see that, I think, in the church today. We see certain churches and certain aspects of the church, the body of Christ, glorying in the fact that they're so tolerant of certain sins that haven't been changed, that haven't been um, adjusted so, uh, in, with this second covenant of Jesus Christ. There's the same, and he's going to hit on those in chapter 6, which we'll get to tonight, um, which is the new stuff that you haven't heard. Chapter 5 is all new to me, I guess. Um, they were glorying in it. And he says, this isn't good. And remember what the word good is? Good isn't, uh, you know, uh, good, great. It's, it's not a degree. It's, it, good is perfect. Good is godly. There is no one good but God, Jesus said. In other words, no one's perfect. So don't call me good, Jesus says, because no one is good but the Father. So um, good means perfect. What you're doing, this glorying, is not perfect. It's not good. It's not godly. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So he's giving him the why. Here's why this is important. Because some, sometimes you got to explain it to people. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper. They might add, you know, marriage is just a piece of paper. It's just well, then get that piece of paper if it's just a piece of paper. Well, I don't want to get a piece of paper. Why? Because it's the big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. If it wasn't a big deal, you'd have it already. But it is a big deal. That piece of paper. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Here's the why behind it. It's going to affect. It's going to affect. It's going to change the whole composition of the church that you're in by allowing this to take place, and it does. We, this isn't the church. This is the world, and he's going to specifically tell us that we can't apply this to the world in a few verses. So forgive me if I use this as an example, but we see that happening now. The and I'll and I'll hit on the transgender thing because it's a it's pretty popular right now as far as what's in front of our face as far as the news goes and everything, and um, the implications behind it. They haven't thought about it, and the results that are going to take place from this transgender um, acceptance and understanding and let everybody be me kind of thing. Um, there's going to be guys transgen- trans- transitioning into women that are going to insist that they play women's sports. All of them. Every one of them. And every women's sport record is going to get shattered. No offense, ladies. is going to get shattered by these transitioning men into women. And every record will be held. All these things that have been fought for and strove for and, and successfully accomplished are all going to be wiped and erased away by people calling themselves, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a funny name, but they're not. They're XY chromosomes, and they're going to be taking over. And the Implications. I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think what this little leaven, even in, I'm just speaking, one segment of society, just sports. I didn't think of what a little leaven was going to do. It's going to absolutely wipe out. They already brought him into the MMA fighting, which is a strange sport in itself. I'm not going to get into that tonight. It's odd. But there was a transitioning man that wanted to fight women because he identified as a woman and hit this woman so hard it fractured her skull and put her in the hospital. And she was absolutely devastated by the fight. And, you know, I don't know if there's an undevastating fight, but it was pretty devastating to her. And she said, I'd never felt so overpowered in my life. But she was fighting a woman as far as the world was concerned, and fair enough. Not so. Um, Likewise, folks, in the church, you may think it's noble. They may think it's noble to accept, include, allow, condone because we're all God's children and there is no one beneath you know, Christ in the sense that they all need Jesus the same, they're equal. And, and that I don't dispute that. But when you allow it to be condoned, that's the word I'm looking for, that's the word I want to use. To, to the, to, not to learn or to grow out of or to be forgiven from, because all of us come to Christ that way. We all need forgiveness from sins, but... When you get to the point where it's condoned and not addressed and left alone and allowed to grow, it affects the entire body of Christ. Now I don't think the church has seen the full effect, or they're starting to see the full effect that if that's not sin, then this isn't sin, and if that's not, then this isn't sin, and then to the point of, um, yeah, um, to the point of where why did Christ die after all? You know? Um, and I know I said that before, so now I'm really remembering my message, <laughs> chapter four and five. All right. But I got to get to my cool props here, so okay, bear with me. All right, let me finish up and get to the new stuff. So, you got to purge it out. He says, you got to purge out the old leaven. You've got to get rid of that sin. You've got to allow God, Jesus, to do that work in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and change you so that you're not entirely ruined. So that you don't entirely rot with this sin. Um, so get rid of this guy so that his so that his flesh might be destroyed, but his spirit might be saved. Um, was the encouragement there. Um, Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And those things go together. Malicious wickedness with the intent to do harm um, is what he's talking about there. It's malicious, it's on purpose. It's... sincerity with truth also have to go hand in hand. Um, you can't have sincerity without truth, and you can't have truth without sincerity. Both need to be there, and so he he declares that. Now he says, I wrote to you in my epistle uh, not to keep company with sexually immoral people, um, and that's where we get the idea that this is the second letter to the Corinthians. There was a previous letter before this that we don't have. Um, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean past tense, with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since, uh, since then, you would need to go out of this world. So when I wrote to you about not keeping company with them, um, with all these people, I didn't mean worldly people. I want you to keep company with them. Um, I, 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 that's why we're here, um, to be salt and light. Um, I, I, I want you to be in the world. He says in verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. I do want you to withdraw from them so that they learn, so that they uh, can understand that that through that isolation how how serious their conduct is. It's not okay. It's not a wink. You know, it's important to... Um, do that. And so God wants us to be salt and light. Now I was just, I just brought this because this is a great example. Salt, salt's no good in the shaker. <laughs> you don't keep salt in the shaker. It's got to be dumped. It's got to be used. You know, um, I do this for the kids do at the harvest party and they get a kick out of it because I can't believe he's spilling salt everywhere. It's fun. It's fun to be messy when you're up here, but that's when it's effective. That's when it's actually going to work is when it's outside. And as Christians, we got to be, we got to be in it we got to be in the world, in it, not of it, but in the world to be used, to be effective. This is a salt shaker, this church. It's a great place. We, as, was, as you prayed, you know, this is a great place of refreshing and encouragement to do what, though? <laughs> to go out, to be salt in this world, to be salty, you know? Second thing he calls us to do is to be light. Um, so here's my little, my little fun thing I get to do. Um, the whole reason I'm putting you through chapter 5 again. Um, is for this, you know. Oh, we got to be light. Well, that's okay. It's okay, isn't it? Here, maybe y'all can't see it. I'm going to put it up here so you can. Well, because all the lights are on. Cl- turn all the lights off, will you? Look at look how different it is now. Now, that's impressive. Ooh. The Holy Spirit has come. No, <laughs> um, but doesn't it have a greater effect? Don't you appreciate it more now, because it's in the dark? Obviously, when that light, when this little little candle is is in the dark like this, it has an effect. And those that don't want to be near it will move to the back of the room, but others who are comforted by it move closer to it. Those who are tired of the darkness, those who want to get away from the darkness, they move towards this. It's effective. Um, um, I, look a little, I look a little creepy, maybe, underneath it, but for the most part, it's beautiful. Now, turn on the lights again, if you don't mind. Thank you for doing that. I, didn't, I threw that at him. Eh, it's nice, it smells nice, but it doesn't have the same effect in the light. Guys, we're a room full of Christians here, and it's bright at church. It always is. And you are beautiful here. It's wonderful that you're all here. Um, but the effect is nothing like when you guys spread out And we're in the dark with friends that are unbelievers, with enemies who are unbelievers. In the world, strangers that are unbelievers. It's so much more effective, so much more powerful, uh, um, and and so much more impact when we spread out. Um, That's why the stars look so beautiful at night. You know, we sang about that tonight. Stars are so beautiful against that black sky, you know. Um, Christ looks really good. He looks and shines his best in us, in the dark, in the dark. Um, and so God's called us to that as believers. I, Paul says, I never, ever called you to be away from the world and to huddle and to you know, find a place where you never get touched by. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees ruined their testimony and their purpose by huddling together and removing themselves from the yucky sinners. And guys, we need to get out there. We need to be out there and use that. I was thinking about Bo, little kids, um, there is something inherently scary about the dark. It is. And they, he hates the dark. He always wants the light on. And, and as a parent, what do you do? You, you try to tell them that, hey, you know what? What's in the dark is the same thing that's in the light. That's, I think, what every, that's our mantra as, as parents. It's the same. Look, it's no different with the light. And for some reason, they look at you and they say, I don't care what you're saying. It's creepy when it's dark. Because when you turn the lights off, the monsters come out, and when you turn them on, they're just that fast. That's how they see it. Okay. Um, That's something kind of built into kids, isn't it? And I think as an adult, as a parent, I learned from that a little bit. I learned that the world is, they're not excited about being in the dark. Um, And there is something comforting about just some light, just a little bit of light. And they're not being babies, because what's in the dark isn't in the light, honestly. Sin, I mean, that's why we have all the sodium lights. That's why we have all the orange lights in towns, and that's why we have to put lights up around our house and so on that turn on with motion detectors, because you know what? When the lights go off, people creep, sin creeps. And those lights come back on, and they scatter. It drives them away. Um, Light prevents crime. It really does. And guys, as Christians, we we are there. That's what Jesus meant. You are light and salt in this world. You prevent. People scurry. People don't do what they would normally do when you're around as Christians, as spirit-filled Christians. And so, you know what? Leave the lights on for your little kids. That's okay. There's something built into them that says, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. That's all right. I'll put a little light on because there's a there's a whole testimony there. There's a whole something to learn. Um It's like a a little visual, uh, what do you call it, object lesson for even me as as a parent. You know what? I'm going to leave that light on for you Um, because I get it. I understand. It's built in. Um, Because when we go to heaven, what's the one thing that's not there? Darkness at all. There's no shadow, it says. I don't know how that works. I was listening. I was at uh, the funeral for Rod's aunt and uh, Pastor Paul. Man, that guy's a pro. Good stuff. I was in the back going, amen, preach! You know, and I, oh, sorry, shouldn't do that at a funeral, really, but I was, he's just, he was sharing about, um, talking about clear glass gold. Clear glass gold. He goes, there ain't no such thing as clear glass gold. And that's why he says, when you talk about heaven, what God has in store for you, I has not heard, nor has it entered the, the mind of man, you know, of what God has prepared for you. And he kept saying that, I'm going... That's why it says clear glass gold, because John didn't know how to write down what he was seeing. Because no eye has seen it, and nothing has entered, it hasn't even entered the man's imagination to imagine, what does clear glass gold look like? That's impossible, I know, but there it is, nonetheless. And so I was thinking about that when he says, when you go up to heaven, there's not going to be any darkness. And I'm like, well... There's got to be a shadow. I mean, so there's a point of light, and he's light. That's great. He's really bright. But to the point where there's not even a shadow cast by people in front. Mm-mm. Well, shadow is what gives us depth perception. I mean, you can go through all the things that we think about. That's impossible. I know. You know? I know. Eyes not seen, nor has it entered the heart of man or the mind of man. Paul had it memorized. I don't. That's how awesome he is. Um, You know? has not heard, or has not seen, has not entered the mind of man. And um, interesting. Um, we're supposed to be scared of the dark. It's supposed to invoke something in us that says that ain't right. There's something wrong with that, you know. And so, folks, says light and salt in this world. When Jesus tells us you are light and salt, he is trying to spread the light into the darkest places he can find. And we need to go there. That's where we need to be, in those places. Provided you can do it. Provided you're called there. Let, let me put that in there. Um, if, if, I'm a, if I'm an alcoholic, or I, that, that's something God has delivered me from, I'm not so sure God has called me to sit inside of a bar, you know, and witness and be that. Because um, that may be too much for me. That may be tempting myself. That may be something that, like Joseph had to, had to run from Potiphar's wife. That may be something that that's just not, you know, I just had to run from that. You know, that's fine. But wherever God has called us as light and salt to be, someplace dark, someplace that needs salt, and so we need to do that. And so um, that's what Paul says. I haven't told you to be. You have to get out of the world to get out of sin. I didn't mean that. I'm talking about brothers, brothers. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Nothing is the idea. Nothing to do with judging those who are outside. God will judge those folks outside. Those who are outside, God judges. He says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You judge the inside folks. I want you to judge the inside folks. So there, again, uh, we're called to judge. Don't judge me. Mm, No, I'm supposed to. Bible says so. God's word judges, and and we compare our behavior to God's word, and God's word judges automatically, and then we implement. That's part of it. Um, And so God will judge those who are outside. He'll take care of that, and they will be judged. But we're to judge those who are inside. We're called to that. So chapter 6, okay, what we've been waiting for. And my little spiel's over. Thank you for letting me use my props. I was so excited. Um, Chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law um, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I'm going to pause there because a lot of people didn't know that. Did you know as a Christian, as a believer, as a saint, and you are a saint, as a believer in Jesus Christ, automatically you got sainthood, halo attached, you got it. It's given. Um, Do you know that you're going to judge the world? Do you know you're going to stand with Christ? And it's not just going to be him, but you are going to rule and reign with Christ. In the millennial reign of Christ, we as believers rule and reign with him. We judge. We rule. And he says, so if you're going to judge the world, if you're going to tell them what's right and wrong, what in the world, and he expects us to be doing that now, not then, not like, it, it will happen then, but not like, oh, well, I can't wait till that day when we're going to judge the world when we rule and reign. He expects that behavior from us now. He expects us to be able to conduct ourselves because we can't judge the world yet. That'll happen. That's what he's talking about here. But for now, you ought to be using and practicing in the in the, in the the body. That ought to be happening. You ought to be able to look at one another and say, here's what I mean, um, um, I oh, I'll give you an example. Uh let's uh let's use the 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 Kostons. They're not here right now. Are the coastens gone? Good. The coastens are gone. So we're going to use Coastin Mace Coastin. And I'm going cuz he ran into your truck, didn't he? This Sunday. Okay, so this is great. This is perfect. This is perfect. He was backing up and I'll take some blame for this. I know I got to get that well taken care of. I got to get that well out there. We're never going to use it. It's just a hazard. Some someday that lid's going to come off, and I just th- oh my god, what if a kid falls into that dumb well? You know. And so I know it's got to be crushed and filled and do whatever we have to do to get rid of that well because we're not going to use it. So Mace is avoiding that well in this uh, this side. He's backing into it this way, and he hits Mike's truck on the other side because he's trying to avoid that dumb well that I was supposed to take care of probably six months ago when God first showed it to me. Anyway, not my problem. <laughs> Mace hits Mike's truck, and thirst, first thing Mace does when he walks in, and he goes, whose truck is that? Is that um, um, Andrew's? He thought maybe it was Andrew's because you guys have really close trucks, or is that Mike's? I said, I think that's Mike's. Andrew's not here. He's fishing this weekend. He goes, okay, and the first thing he did is he went and, and found you. Mike, I hit your truck. Just boom. Mike's like, oh, Okay. And they went out and walked and took and you took care of it, didn't you? you? Got it handled. See, that's what brothers do. That's what Christians do. That's how they handle. It. They just walk out and say, "Yep, you hit my truck." Um, you know, and I don't know, I, none of my business. They handled it. That's just it. The point is, they, uh, Mike. Mike didn't say, "Oh man, I'm gonna take." It's harvest season, isn't it? I'm gonna take you for everything you earned. This, you know. Mm, I think I got it. when you hit my truck. I felt it. I felt it in my. <laughs> you know. No. It's good. It handled it. I mean, it's bad. and, and it, It's just honesty and just, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this. What a great testimony for Mace Koston. He didn't expect me to use it. He's not here right now. But what a great testimony of that man's integrity. Because he could have just said, oh, pfft, mm, park over here. I don't know what happened to your truck, Mike. He didn't. He ran right into it, smashed it. Into a, no. But he told him. He told him about it. That's how it's supposed to work in the body of Christ. Just work it out. you know. And Paul's saying, how come you guys can't work it out? How come you can't own it? You know what's wrong. You know what happened. Now, maybe you didn't like that it happened. Maybe you wish it hadn't happened, but it did. What do you do about it? How do you fix that? You just got to be straight up with one another. And he says, why are you going to law against each other? Why are you going to the world? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you... Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters like running into someone's truck? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Maybe you didn't know that. Not only are you going to judge the world, but you're going to judge angels too. That's a big deal. Because angels, we're not supposed to mess with. They're pretty powerful. They kill a, well, they kill 180,000 soldiers. Those angels are pretty tough. And God says, you're going to judge them. You're going to judge those angels. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Do you not know you're going to judge angels? How much more are the things that pertain to this life, in other words, this life is puny. It's puny. It's small. The tiny things that take place, you know, I've been wronged. I've been wronged. Uh, sorry, you know. I don't know what else to do. Uh, sorry. You got to let it go. It's over with but they're going to law against one another. They're going to the world to get their judgments. Brothers and sisters in the Lord going in front of the... Now, I'm not saying that you can't do this. Sometimes a brother in the Lord is just being a pest, and they won't listen to Christian uh, intervention or or, or Christian um, arbitration. Um, And it's a big deal. It's not something small like a fender bender. It could be something more serious, you know? Um, He's just... He's chastising them for not being forgiving for not being gracious for not being merciful in situations it's like come on you know this is ridiculous um and so he calls him on it he goes this is this is embarrassment to you guys it's not something to be proud of you know this is a this is a, a, a notch against you it's not good how much more are the things that pertain to this life If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I mean, you look down on everybody else in the world as unbelievers that need to get saved and fixed, and then you go to them for advice on these things? I say this to your shame. Paul wasn't afraid to shame people. It's shameful what you're doing. That's a shame, you know. Oh, there's no more... There's no, more con- there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know. Paul says, this is a shame. This is embarrassing. No, you're not going to be, it's not going to keep you from heaven. No, it's not be counted against you. It's not like you're going to hell because of it. But it's embarrassing the way you're conducting yourself, he says. So, is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, exclamation point. So he's shouting at him. He's shouting at him. And isn't that funny how he uses that, you know? I don't know if we can ha- I don't know if I can handle a letter from Paul directed towards me. i I'm just, boy, I'm glad I'm not a Corinthian, and yet it's for me, isn't it? You know? But it, he writes it in such a way, I'm just glad I'm not a Corinthian then, you know. He says, Is there not even one wise person among you? And they were known for that. They prided themselves on what teachers they had uh put themselves under. You know, I'm under this guy and I'm under Apollos and I am of this guy. He says, so far I haven't found a wise one of you in the bunch. There's not one of you that's wise enough to figure this out? Well, we could figure it out. I don't know. So he calls upon it. Now, therefore, um, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. First of all, let it go. You know, I've been wronged. I need justice. You don't want justice. Believe me, you don't want justice. Because if you demand justice for them, you need to demand justice for yourself. You know, I'm so glad that I'm not going to be held accountable for all my sins, that he's not going to put me up there, and, 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 and I'm not going to get the sentence I deserve. Guys, I deserve death. As a pastor of Calvary Chapel in Maryville, Missouri, I deserve the sentence of death. I deserve hell. I, if he sent me to hell, I should stand down there and say, yep, yep, it's right where I belong. Because I deserve it. I deserve everything he's ever... I'm, I'm not one of those people that sits up here and says, well, I don't know if I'm as bad as that guy. No, I'm I'm the guy. I'm the guy that deserves it. And so when it comes to justice, there will be justice. God is going to mete out justice to everyone who's ever gotten away with anything that's not a believer, though, that's of the world. The believers, nothing's counted against them. There will be no judgment against them. There is no more. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. All of my sins have been forgotten as far as the east is from the west. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing will be held against me because it was all held against Christ but it was all held against Christ. I keep that in mind. All of my sin. And so he says it's another failure when you do that. Let yourselves be cheated. Let yourself be wrong. It'd be better. It would be better for that, for you to have that injustice in your life, than for you to take this to the courts in front of unbelievers of all people. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He's letting them know that as you go to the world, Don't you understand that all the people that are unbelievers that are doing these things, those are the ones that Christ died for. That's the reason he came to die. And if they don't accept him, they're going to hell. All of them. He says, and such were some of you. You were one of those. you fall into any of those categories probably. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, they may be doing some of these things still, but it doesn't mean that this list is applying to them as they're not going to hell if they've committed these things or are committing these things. He's saying you have two groups of people, some that are doing these things and some that are doing these things, but these people have accepted Christ and these people haven't. Now, as these people who have accepted Christ and are or have been doing these things, they're going to heaven without a doubt. But you shouldn't look like that anymore. Don't you understand he saved you from that? Not to condone it, not to live in it, but to be guilty of it and to apply the blood of Christ to those sins and to understand that that's what he saved us from. He's trying to give them the right mindset. This isn't something to revel in. This is something to be removed from. And so he wants them to change. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be brought out of homosexuality, to be brought out of drunkenness. And by the way, if God holds them accountable for these sins and says that they're sins that they're to remove themselves from, that means they can. And this is the rub. This is the thing. This is the argument in the church today. I was born this way. It's a disease, they say about alcoholism no it's not that's one of the biggest myths in the church today and in the world today that alcoholism a disease it isn't it never has been it's never been diagnosed as a disease no doctor will ever diagnose you with the disease of alcoholism they call it that because it removes responsibility from the person onto some force that's been thrust upon them that they can't help themselves from it's not a disease now, you can hardwire yourself, just like you can with any addiction. You can hardwire your brain to, meal. You know, there is such intense desire for this, that, or the other thing that I can't stop myself. I have to go for it. Well, you do. If alcoholism is a, is a disease, it's the only one that causes you to get in your car, to drive to a store, to pick up a bottle, to take it off the shelf, to pay for it, to put it in your car, to drive home with it, to unscrew it, to pour it into a glass, and to drink it. That's the only Disease that's ever caused anybody. Cancer doesn't do that to you. Real diseases don't do that to you. And so, and that's the same with homosexuality or sodomy or whatever you however you want to put those. The sodomites have to do with the men and the homosexuals have to do with the women, technically, but the idea is the same sex relationships that you think you're born to have, you're not. You're not. God's word says that you can be delivered from it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it's something to remove from your life, which means you can. And any Christian that disputes this is saying that God is a liar and that his word is not true. That's where 1 John comes in. He who says he has no sin deceives himself. You're deceiving yourself. You may have come accustomed to it. It may become, have become a part of your life, so much so, so ingrained, so entrenched that it feels like that's who you are, that that's your identity, but you're not. That's not who God made you to be. You've become that, and you become so entrenched that it becomes your new normal, but it's not. It's not okay. God has broken the chains. That's what this whole concert's all about, to break these chains, And anybody that's become a believer in Jesus Christ from here on out does these things by choice. He who sets us free sets us free indeed. And he has set us free. And so Paul calls them on it. You guys were these things. Don't be these things. Don't continue in these things. You've been set free from these things. You're saved from these things. You're going to heaven um, because Christ died for these things. That means they're not okay. They're not to be reveled in. They're not to be... Uh, glorified in your body, in the body of Christ, they're to be um, treated as what they are—a disease, a, a thing that needs to be removed, a cancer that needs to be removed. Um, and so, that's why Christ came to heal us from these things, to take it from us, take this from us, this sin. Um, these are just manifestations of it. it. Comes in different forms in all of our lives. Well, I'm not that. Well, no, but you're probably something else. you know. And he wants to deliver us from those things. And so he calls him on it. Look, you were those things, but you've been washed, cleansed from them. You've been sanctified, set apart from them. In other words, you're not to be those things anymore. And you were justified. In other words, you're going to heaven because of what Christ did by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me. Now, he follows that right up, that list all things are lawful for me. In other words, nothing is going to keep me from heaven. Not even that list that I just said. But all things are not helpful. All things are not lawful. All things are lawful for me, but not. But I will not be brought under the power of any. You can be brought under the power of these things. Yeah, you know, there are some brothers and sisters in the Lord that that can have a beer. They can have a whatever, one or two or something like that. Um, that's just not something that's good for me. I can't do that. Um, I steer clear of it altogether. I completely removed it from my life. All of it. Um, For me to partake is, well, I know it's something God's delivered me from, so for me, it would be foolish for me to even go back to a mild version of what he's delivered me from. Um, It's not okay for me. Um, But, you know, Paul says to Timothy, "Have a little wine for your stomach. You know, if it, if that's what it takes to keep you from getting so sick all the time, okay, um, that, fine. But then he also says that you're not, you know, if you're in authority and in leadership in a church, you're not supposed to at all, um, because it clouds your judgment. You're brought under the power of it. There's a reason you drink that as opposed to orange juice. <laughs> if if you like the taste so much, have some grape juice." Well, I don't like grape juice. Well, there's a reason why. It's because you like it fermented, you know, um, because it makes you feel a certain way, and you're being brought under the power of it, you know. So be careful about that. Um, I'm not saying you can't. He doesn't. He doesn't say you can't. Not given to much wine. It's what he specifically says. But um, with that being said, if you've been delivered from it, um, I'm just saying, um, be careful, and that's in anything. That's in anything that he's delivered you from. It may be lawful, um, but it's not helpful, and you don't want to be brought under the power of it. So as long as it's uh, not harmful to you, and as long as um, you're not brought under the power of it, you bet. I'll leave it there. Um, foods are for the stomach, and stomach's for food, and, and, but God will destroy both it and them. In other words, our flesh and whatever we put in it doesn't make any difference. It's all going to get destroyed. Just make sure it doesn't affect your ministry. Make sure it doesn't affect your witness, okay? That's very important because we're not our own anymore. It's not about us having Christ We're we're and free to do whatever you are. All things are lawful, but you're also a bond slave. You're a bond slave. You represent. And so he calls us to, to walk in such a way that's not going to stumble um, in, in any way, the best we can. Now, some people get stumbled, and, and we have to be careful about that. Um, without knowing it we can stumble people but he's, he's, he's trying to pull this Corinthian church out of this mentality and of course you've got to set the stage here they're letting everything happen in the church it's as if Christ came but nothing happened as far as, as, far as being delivered from anything they just continued on with what they were doing before they came to Christ now they're just, they've tacked Christian onto it it's like no he, 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 he came to heal he came for the sick He came for those who had to come out of the darkness to the light. And now you're seeing how far into the darkness you can go. It it doesn't line up. So anyway, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Well, no, certainly not. I would never do that. Christ would never do that. Um, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In other words, what Paul's getting at is when you as a believer filled with the Holy Spirit join yourself together with the harlot, you're joining Christ to that harlot. It's one thing if I would do that, but I would never want to drag Christ into that situation. It's one thing for me to fail in that area, but I don't want to bring Christ into that. And Paul's saying, too late. You you do. Now, interesting thing here, that means he's not talking about unbelievers thinking about being Christians. He's talking about Christians that are actually doing these things. Don't you know that Christ is going with you? And that tells me something about Jesus. He's willing. He'll never leave me or forsake me, even when I wish he would in those situations. Well, certainly Christ isn't here in the middle of this sin. He is. He is. He's with you, right alongside you when you're doing that, this, or the other thing. Well, no, I I thought I just kind of left him at church. I thought I kind of left him at home or I left him in the car. No, no, you're one with him now. And he's one with you. And wherever you go, he goes. Whatever he sees, you see. Whatever he hears, whatever you hear, he hears. He's a part of everything that you do now. That changes things, doesn't it, a little bit? I mean, it shouldn't. We should understand that, but that's the fact. Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Flee. And you know what? Sometimes that's all you can do. You can't stand there boldly and say, no. Joseph did that for a while, didn't he? To Potiphar's wife. No, 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 no. Who knows? Every day, he said, it went on. Until finally she grabbed a hold of him and pulled him. Pulled him. Had to have been pulling on his coat because he left it behind. And he fled. This is like too much. She's like, it's not like flirtatiousness. It's not like, you know, I think she's interested kind of thing. It's No doubt about it. Who knows what she was wearing at the time, but to the point where Joseph said, I'm leaving my coat behind. I'm running for my life. He had to flee. Sometimes that's all you can do, but that's good. Paul gives you permission to flee. We don't have to be brave, moral soldiers. Sometimes you're like, man, I just had to run because I was going to give in. I just ran. Good. Run, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. You're purchased God wants me to glorify him in all that I do, you know, in every way, shape, and form. He wants me to glorify him. And so he says, do that. He doesn't want to have to go through lists and say, you know, okay, Paul, I hear what you're saying. Is this okay? Is that okay? Because that goes on forever. You know what it's like. And so he gives them just an overall understanding of here's how I want you to live your life. Live your life in such a way that it's not your own, that it belongs to Christ, and that you wouldn't be embarrassed to bring Christ with you wherever you go, that you wouldn't be embarrassed to have Christ see whatever you're seeing, that you wouldn't be embarrassed to have Christ hear whatever you're hearing, and that ought to do it. It's a good filter, isn't it? It's a good filter. So then I can pose my questions and, and, and apply it to that. Would, would Christ want to be here right now? I don't think he would, because what I read about him... You know, would he want to be watching this? Would he want to be hearing this? Is this something he'd want to do? Probably not, and Paul's just giving the Corinthian church here. I don't think you get it. do you think Jesus would be comfortable? Well no, okay then you know okay then, and he's doing it in the most loving professor like way he can do it okay i don't want to th- I don't want to throw you under the bus. I don't want to lose you over this. I want to help you get through this. Let's just apply this. Nice filter to your life. What do you think? What do you think needs to go? Well, my goodness, if that's the standard, exactly. If that's where we're headed, exactly. Remember, we're being conformed not into something similar to Jesus, not something that the best he could do with us like Jesus, but he is literally conforming us into the image of Jesus. He wants us to be just like him. So he calls us to that. Okay, so we made it through. Thank you for letting me do five and six tonight. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, as Paul is writing to a very, very carnal First Corinthian church that is filled with your spirit but are so deep into their sin that he has to write this letter, Lord. We read this and um, we apply it to our own lives, God. We're not a Corinthian church. I don't think we're that far gone by we're not even close to this church. And yet we know there's always room, God, in our own personal lives and in, as a body of believers. Um, Lord, we don't want to be sin sniffers, but we also don't want to be a, a condoning church of sin. It, it, it should be um, all about restoration, but there, there does have to be repentance. Um, and so God, help us to find that place, God, where your love, is shining into our lives. Your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. I know it's the other way around, but it it works the same way, God. Um, You show us where we stand compared to where you want us to be, and Lord, help us to course correct, to change, and to be where you want us to be. If we need to move to the right or to the left, God, help us to do that. Because we want to be right where you want us to be. You're not there uh, kicking us when we're down or, or, or... Or laying a hammer on her head, but you're trying to show us, look, you're in the wrong place. I want you over here. It'll be better for you over here. So God, help us to course correct in our lives, to be careful. Um, None of us, I think, fall into the category of of most of these sins. Um, But if they do, we've been shown tonight. You've explained it to us. You've even been gracious enough to give us the reasons why. We're not to be doing these things. And so, God, we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Um, Help us now to receive, to let it stay um, implanted in our hearts. Help it do whatever it was intended to do and help us to then implement your word in our own lives, even tonight, to set ourselves apart if we haven't um, or if we've moved back to where we were, what we were delivered from. Lord, help us to be set apart. Lord, help us to remember we're justified. By you, because we're in you and you're in us. And so wherever we are, you're there. And uh, we thank you for that encouragement tonight and exhortation um, and admonition. And Lord, we receive your correction because it's always from love, it's always for restoration, and it's always for our best, as we learned on Sunday. And so thank you for being such a good father who longs to see his kids doing well thriving, not just getting by, um, but excelling. And so, God, uh, as we're conformed into your image, Jesus, we we thank you that you you do want to do that. Um, So, Lord, help that to happen in our lives. Fill us with your Spirit. Help us to then apply that principle, um, not as a list, but as an overall worldview, God, a Christian worldview as to how we should walk in this world. Help us to be light and salt this week to be different, to be set apart, and let it be okay, um, to be salty and to be light in this dark world. Help us to find some unbelieving brothers and unbelieving people in our lives, God, to, to, to befriend them, uh, to invite them to you, to bring them to you, God. Um, um, we want that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.